Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. I just love for an opportunity for us as a church and for you and you who are participating online through Church at Home. You can just type it into the chat. But, but what is good about God? As we sit here, what's going on good in your life? What is the truth about him is good? What is it about God that is good this morning? Yes, glad. Amen. Mercy, grace, forgiveness. Scripture says his mercies are new every single day. And to realize that we stand in that goodness right now. Thank you. Amen. What else is good? If you're a kid in the room, you can offer as well. We've got Vessel Kids here today. Yeah, his consistency in our life, right? How faithful he is. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, even when we are not, even when our circumstances change. He's consistent. Gary? Yeah, timing. We don't like that one, but you're right. His timing is good. It's perfect. Amen. What else? Sloan, what's good? School is out. His love. Amen. Man, God's love for us. How good is that? Even while we were still sinners, even when we were far from him, he first loved us. Cash, faithfulness. Amen. God is faithful. And good. Amen. Thank you, Cash. What else? He what? He knows the end? Yeah. Amen. Even when we look out and we don't know what it looks like, he knows. His timing, his goodness, what's coming. Yeah. All right. I'm going I'm to thank the Lord for all that, and then we'll jump in. Dear Lord, we thank you this morning for your goodness. As God said, that, that is new in your mercies every day, God. And we sit here and bask in your goodness. Even when we don't feel it, like Dustin mentioned, God, you're consistent. As Cash said, you're faithful. God, your your goodness is like waves upon the shore, crashing into our lives again and again and again. Your love, as Sloan mentioned, Lord, is good, Jesus. And we just thank you, Lord, for your timing, And for your timing right in this very perfect moment that we sit here, that we gather together, that we're gathered at home through church at home, God. And your timing is perfect. So in that same spirit of your perfect timing, as Gary mentioned, God, open our hearts to hear what you want us to hear. Lord, you know the journey that we've been on lately. God, you know the journey that we've been on in our life, Lord, You know what's coming, and you know the end. So we just invite you into this space right now. Soften our hearts. Spirit, speak to us. Lord, let your word become alive and active and breathed out into our lives right now. We thank you for uh, 2 Thessalonians and and the journey that we've been on reading this letter and how it's been good and transformative in our life and our church. And so we just ask that right now. Pray that you use me, God, that you activate your spirit in me to speak, God, not on my own words, but on yours. 
We pray these things in your name. Amen. So we've been in this series called Dear Church. Um, and it's a series that we're going to come back to later in 2021, but we are wrapping it up this Sunday as next Sunday we transition into the summer of love for many, many weeks. And so Dear Church is a series that we're looking at the epistles in the New Testament. And if you know much about the Bible in general and how it's set up, the New Testament, the majority of the New Testament scripture are letters that were written from someone to someone from a group of people to a group of people, um, but they're actually letters and words that were written from the Holy Spirit to us and to his church and his people. And so in that same way, um, it's important that we keep in mind why letters matter and why they're important. So in in that spirit, one thing we've been doing is reading and looking at different letters each and every week to give us some perspective on what is in a letter and why it's important that we understand that these are letters in Scripture. And so last week, Joe uh, taught on the man of lawlessness, and it was amazing. So I, I don't know if you did, weren't here last week or you want to you know about end times and the Antichrist, I don't know if I've ever heard it more perfectly taught and articulated than Joe did last week. So thank you, Joe. And, and when we came into this, and we came into this eight-week series, we did the five chapters in First Thessalonians, followed by the three in Second Thessalonians. And Joe told me, he said, I'll teach whatever you want me to teach. You just pick. So I went through and I got to Second Thessalonians chapter two and the man of lawlessness and the Antichrist. I was like, that's one's for you, Joe. And so thank you, Joe. But as he was reading that last week, he read an email uh, between he and a, a coworker or someone that he knew uh, from his church back home. Um, and, and there was a break in the letter. And so he talked about how this is a letter, Second Thessalonians, that was from Paul and Silas and Timothy to this church in Thessalonica. And this is the second letter that he's written. Now, we don't get to see the response of the, or the interaction between those two letters, but we know that, there, that a lot of what he's doing in this letter is answering questions is clarifying things, is helping shape them. Because there's circumstances that are going on during that time in the church of Thessalonica that uh, were unique and specific. And, and the Holy Spirit used that to speak to us today. And so the letter that I'm going to read today is from Shay's grandmother. Uh, and it's written to Shay. It's from her grandmother and grandfather. And it's written to Shay. And this, her grandparents have passed away since, um, and, and I thought about this today, Shay, but in the spirit of Memorial Day, Shay's grandfather, Cecil Vanderbilt, he served in uh, World War II, and he was a, he's a veteran. And I just think about him today as I was praying through that. He's who I thought about. And so this is a letter. It's a very simple letter. It's not that profound. No offense, Cappy and Cecil, not that it's not, but what it is, is it's one of the remaining letters that Shay has from her grandparents. And all of her keepsakes, this is one of the few letters that she has. And so I just want to read it to you really quickly and, and kind of look at why that matters and is significant. It says, Shay, have a good time and be careful. Don't get too tired driving. Stop and rest at the rest stops. Have you ever had a grandparent or a parent tell you that? Yes says, we love you and have, a really, and have a really great time. Hope this money will help you out. Has your grandmother ever sent you money in a card or a letter? Hope this money helps you out. We are glad we can help you a little. Hope to see you soon, Grandma and Paw. Isn't that sweet? And so, like I said, this is like 
a really sweet letter from her grandparents to her, but it's one of the remaining things. She can hold this, and she can remember that her grandparents wrote this. They signed their name, and I don't know, I included the um, postage there. It was from 2002, um, written out of Fort Worth. What were you doing in 2002, Shay? You were in college at A&M, okay? Poor Shay Shay at A&M. But in College Station, but she holds on to this letter, not because there's some sort of information here, right? This doesn't contain information. She doesn't need this letter to remember to stop and rest when she's driving. She doesn't, there's no, the money's been spent on who knows what. The money's been spent. It's not here. She's not holding on, hoping that it will produce more money. She's holding on because this letter is significant to her. And so it's one of the last letters that she has from her grandparents, so in the same way, this, this letter to the church in Thessalonica, as we close this letter today, this is the last correspondence that we see between Paul, Silas, and Timothy in this church that they went and planted. That doesn't mean it was their last communication. It doesn't mean that there weren't other letters that were written or conversations that happened, but this is the end, and this is the end of this letter and this interaction that we see between them. So I want you to keep this in mind, and just like Shay's grandparents kind of giving her some final, uh, it looks like she went and saw them, maybe she spent some time out at the lake, uh, they lived out in Azel on Eagle Mountain Lake, um, and there, there are some parting thoughts or wisdom, so to speak. Uh, this letter reads the same. So in the, in this, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to read through a portion of this last chapter. He starts it by, uh, again, just encouragement. There's a lot of encouragement from Paul to this church in Thessalonica. And then he gets on, uh, he gets into warning them against idleness. And so what we're going to do is we're going to re- be reading 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 15. And I'm just going to take them kind of two at a time. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to look at what his word says. So I'll, I'll kind of tell you what he's communicating here. And then we'll read the scripture and talk a little bit about it. And so he starts out by talking about the destructiveness of idleness. The destructive nature of idleness. Now, I'm not talking about idolatry, about idolized. I'm talking about idleness and being still and not working and not laboring and not doing anything being lazy, being slothful, whatever it is. And he says this in beginning verse six, he says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you. And so Paul just like Shay's grandmother, is finishing this letter with a, with a bit of warning or wisdom. And he's warning them against the destruct, destructive nature of idleness. Um, and it, it looks like a, idleness in our lives looks like a lot of different things. And idleness can be being lazy and not working and not doing something. But idleness can mask itself in other ways. Idleness can look like busyness is that we live in a time and place where we wear busyness like a badge of honor. And if you see someone and you're like, hey man, how's it going? I haven't seen you. How have you been? Oh man, I've been so busy lately. Things have been busy. I've been really busy at work, busy at home. And we, we, it's a source of pride for us. And so I don't want you to think so narrowly about idleness, about just being still and not working, is that idleness can manifest itself in a lot of ways. Even busyness, even us busying ourselves with something can be idleness away from what God is calling us towards, 
away from what God is calling us towards. And so this, this language that he uses against idleness is very strong. And so I want us to understand and define, because this is what we're talking about this morning. This is how Paul finishes this letter to the church in Thessalonica. So it's important that we understand what idleness is. And so literally, um, it literally, the scripture says this, uh, and this, this where it says, from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us, to not be idle. It literally means one who walks disorderly or unruly or out of ranks in their life. So one who walks unorderly, unruly, or out of ranks in their life. And the biblical image of this word in scripture is like a soldier that's out of rank, that he's, he's not doing what he's supposed to do. He's fallen out of order. He's not listening to his commanding officer. And it's not just taking a step out, which we all do. We all make mistakes. We all have moments in our lives where we're lazy, where we binge too much Netflix, where we get sucked into our cell phone or social media or whatever it is. He's not talking about that. Not that that's permissible or okay or whatever, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about people who intentionally walk, which is a path, which is, which is a continuous way that's out of rank. And so it, it is this image of a soldier who's, who's supposed to do this job and they intentionally walk and move in a way that's outside of that job by decision and on purpose. And so the, the, the key thing to understanding this is asking the question is why do they do it? And the reason that they do it is to avoid the work that's required. So they're walking idle, they're walking out of rank, they're walking unruly in order to avoid the job, the task, what, has been, what they've been called to do, what they've been called to do. And I think that this is alive and active in the church today. As much as what Joe talked about last week about there's a lot of conversation, a lot of thought, a lot of people thinking about end times and antichrist and what that looks like. This again is something that's really relevant for 2021 in the Western Christian cultured church. There's a lot of idleness is that we will go to church or we'll be a part of a church, but are we truly laboring for the kingdom and the gospel? And so I think this is really relevant today. And so he says here in this, the destruction of idleness, he says that idleness is disruptive. It says, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive, is that idleness is disruptive within the church. And, within, and I want you to think about church as just like a gathering on an hour long on a Sunday morning, but the function of a body of Christ. So if we look at summer of love and mobilizing ourselves for the sake of the loss, idleness disrupts that. And so if there are any teachers in the room, you know what disruptiveness looks like right? As you just finished your school year, as you had, um, you know, kids online, kids in person, there were a lot of disruptions in that just off the nature of the circumstances of school. But there were a lot of disruptions in that based off your kids. And so um, I, uh, Tracy Ho is one of our teachers and she's an amazing teacher. And so Joe and I were talking about this and he, he said that one of the ways that Tracy in her classroom avoids idleness is by keeping the kids busy. She's like, we have, to, we have to be ready to move on to the next thing, whatever that is. And any moment, any free time, if they're not doing something, if they're not busy and they, they get idle, they become disruptive. The same thing is true about when you have a kid that's disruptive in your class. And I can testify to this because I was a teacher before ministry, is you, you 
combat disruptiveness by avoiding that kid and avoiding the behavior. You ignore them. If they're being disruptive or whatever it is, you avoid giving attention to that, which is exactly what Paul is saying here. He says, keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive. And so you do this, to, you, you do this by avoiding them. There's a really funny, um, I should have looked it up and played it for you today, but it can be your homework. There's a little, a really funny, there's a teacher um, that was teaching a small group of kids through Zoom online, and it was like this small group of boys. It was this young teacher, and she's at home, and she's on her computer, and she's teaching these boys, and this teacher um, passes gas as she's teaching them, and it's very audible. And, these, and you can see it happen. And this teacher, I mean, she keeps it together. And these little boys, I mean, it's, it's like six boys in this small group. They start laughing and they start laughing. And she's, you know, she's like, boys, you know, you know, get back on task. And she's trying to get them back on task. And she's like, whoever it was, that's okay. It might have embarrassed And one of the boys was like, was it you, Miss such and such? And she just gets, she gets flush red. And it's so funny as these boys just laugh, like, oh my gosh. And then one boy's like, it's okay, we all do it. And it's so good. But it's like this disruptive moment. And, and I know that that's funny to think about that within a church, is that if someone is passing gas in church, that's disruptive. But it's that same principle. It's a principle of someone walking out of ranks that's disrupting the work of the church. And this isn't the first time that Paul's talked about this. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, at the end of his previous letter, he warned against the same thing. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. He says, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient for everyone is that this isn't the first time that he's warned them about idleness. And let me just say right now, like as we're talking about this, this isn't you. Like as we, as we walk through scripture and I think about the vessel, this is not an idle church. And so I want to let you off the hook early. Like we're going to talk about this, about laboring and toiling and being disruptive. I want you to know, church, this isn't you. And, and this isn't a message to say, hey, work harder. So if you're sitting there thinking, gosh, I serve on the Lilo team and I, I help lead a men's group and I uh, volunteer by doing social media stuff, I've got to do more. That's not the message. That's not the message. That's not the message. So if you're, if you're feeling convicted right now, what more can I do? I want to let you off the hook and let you know that this isn't you. Sure, we all fall short. We all struggle in moments and find ourselves idle and not working for the kingdom. And that's different. And conviction from the spirit is a good thing. But I want you to know that this isn't something, like this isn't a message that I feel like, oh, this is an issue at the vessel. But it is a warning against it. And it is, a, it is something to be mindful and aware of in our lives. So he continues in verse seven. So he, he, talks about, he talks about the destructive nature of idleness and he moves forward and he says that we fight idleness with labor. The way that we fight idleness is with labor. Just like Tracy in a classroom, fighting disruptiveness by keeping her students busy. We fight idleness with labor. Verse seven ends by saying, we are not idle when we are with you. And in verse eight, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. 
On the contrary, we worked day and night, laboring and toiling so that we will not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. And so I can tell you this, I can testify to this, of fighting idleness with labor in my own life. Because this is an area that I struggle with. As a person, I'm a better human being when I am busy. I'm not someone that is, uh, that's, I've never been falsely accused of being overly productive and organized with my life. And so with me personally, as I find idle time, I struggle to, to be busy, to labor, and to be productive. If you want evidence of that, you can open my garage door. Garage, and a garage only gets clean when there's idle time. That's when the garage is up for the task. And if you've ever seen my garage, you can testify by either A, I'd never have idle time, which is not true, or B, I struggle with idleness to be busy in that to be busy in that. And so I can tell you for me personally, this is a trap for me. And as the saying goes, even where we struggle with our lives and mentally, as the saying goes, an idle mind is the devil's playground. Can anyone testify to that? An idle mind is the devil's playground, as the saying goes. Biblically, Proverbs sixteen twenty seven says this. This is the King James Version. It says, an ungodly man diggeth up evil. And in his lips, there is a burning fire. And this idea of an ungodly man is the same thing as an idle man or an unruly or disorderly man. And a disorderly, unruly, idle man diggeth up evil. When he doesn't have something to put his mind to and his time to, work is done in a negative sense. And so it happens in our lives as well. We know that idle time is a lot of times the devil's playground. And so... uh, I was with a friend playing, uh, I, was, I was, Colin and I were playing disc golf and I was, we were talking about this. And I, I told him I struggle with that. And he's got a job that he's a EMT. And so um, he has, you know, four days, 48 hours on, and then he's got this days off. And to be really intentional, what does it look like to fight that with labor and to be intentional about the time that we have? And I think that that's really important. And so scripture says that we fight Paul is telling them we, we combat idleness with hard work or labor. It literally says, on the contrary, we worked day and night toiling and laboring so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Paul said himself, he said, we, when we were there and we were with you, day and night we were working, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden. And I want you to know that this isn't just checking the box. This isn't Paul going through of like, yep, I did it. I wasn't a burden. I did the duty. I served. I did my job. He's not checking a box here, but he's talking about why that's important. You know, uh, last weekend I was talking with Russ Robinson and we were, we were talking about load in and load out. We're a, we're a mobile church. We set up and tear down this gym every single week and that the labor and the toil that goes into that and, and the, the grind that it can be. And so Russ and I were talking about and realizing that he and I have done Load In, Load Out Church for 10 years now. So if we go back to our, our days at, when we started ACF Brushy Creek to ACF Round Rock to the vessel that for 10 years now, our life of church has been set up and tear down. And it is a labor of love. And so we were talking about Friday night, uh, we had an elder meeting and 
uh, we were praying and we had some other, there were just some other people there. Shay was there. Stephen came by and as we, in our time of prayer. And he was just saying, you know what? He said, if we just had a, a, a plot of dirt, he's like, we just put church out there, the chairs out there on a, on a piece of dirt. Like that would be fine if the gospel's going out. And I was like, I want to go on record saying I'm against the plot of dirt idea and just being out in a dirt field. But it's true, you know, is that we've been doing this a long time. And so this idea of laboring for church and fighting against idleness and toil and work, we know that, we know that well. So we have Vessel Kids in here today. And, and my kids go back there every Sunday and are served by Vessel Kids and those who are serving back there and giving time to pour in the, the lives of my children. I can't. I'm not being idle by being in here and not being back there. I don't have time to go serve back there. But someone's doing that work. Someone's bearing that burden. The chair that you sit in, someone put that out. Someone sacrificed time, energy, their morning, their Sunday morning to sleep in, to come and put that on, to put that out. And so Logan Parker, who leads our Lilo team, said it this way as we were talking this past week. He says, you know, one thing I love about that, about being a mobile church and, and looking at it in a positive sense, he says, we don't go to church, we do church. Like we, we make it happen. It's not just something we attend. And those things are burdensome. Paul says we work day and night, we labored and toiled, so we would not be a burden to you. So I want you to know, someone put a chair out. Someone takes my children and pours into them. People come up and volunteer on Sunday nights with our teenagers. People lead small groups, is able to bear that burden together. Paul tells the church in, in Galatia, Galatians 6, 2, says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Is it part of our calling as a church and as Christ followers are to bear one another's burdens? And Paul's saying, like, we're here to not be a burden, but to bear burden beside you because Paul knew that he would leave. He was there for three weeks with them. He went and he busted his rear end, helping pour into and loving and supporting and getting the gospel out in that community because he knew that he would be leaving. And that's what we're called to do as Christ followers to labor for the sake of the kingdom, to bear burdens with one another. Shay and I have experienced a lot of that in the past several weeks in, our, in the confines of our home. It's the way she said this is she was struggling and she was having a really hard time. And I went and we had a time, we talked. And she's like, I, she just kind of unloaded about what she was struggling with and what was going on and where her where they, she was getting enemy attack. And she just like kind of gave that to me. And sure enough, the next day, I was feeling heavy. And she said, I'm so sorry. I feel like I just dumped that on you. And I'm like, babe, that's what we do. We bear one another's burdens, right? Like we carry those together and we get through these things together. And idleness and walking out of ranks is walking in a way that you're unwilling to bear the burdens of one another. Walking out of ranks is, and, and being idle is you're leaving kingdom work to be done by others so that you can attend. So, and, and I'm not, again, this is not us, but it's the biblical truth behind the idea. And Paul even says, why do we do this? Not because we don't have a right to it. You've got a right to it. I have a right for you to bear my burden. You're my brother and sister in Christ, and God's called us into this 
to be a body together. And so I need that. We need that. It's not that we don't have a right to it, but Paul did it to model for them the way they're supposed to live and the relationship that they're called into for the sake of the lost. He worked day and night, toiled and labored because he knew that he was leaving, but he set a model for them. It's the very thing, that, the same thing that Jesus Christ did. On the last night of his life, Jesus wasn't carried into Jerusalem like a king, right? He washed the, the disciples' feet. He said, I do this. If your master does this, become a slave, get down to your feet. He's like, you can do this for one another. It's modeling what that looks like. He continues. And he, in the idea that he, he says that idleness is destructive and that we fight idleness with labor. And he says, and he warns them that if idleness fully manifests, that idleness leads to starvation. Idleness leads to starvation. Verse 10, he says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Amen? So if you're in, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christ follower, that's your verse right there. They're not busy, they're busy, busy bodies. So you can just, if you don't know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you can just say amen to all this, right? You can say, yep, amen. Because you see this in church, what it looks like to be a busy body. And so he says this, is like a rule. He says, we give you this rule. It's like a classroom rule. You don't work, you don't eat. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. And this is both a physical truth and a spiritual truth. This is a physical reality and a spiritual reality. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word of God. When I was in college, I worked at this uh, camp called Laity Lodge Youth Camp. Colin, thank you, Colin. Colin went to camp there. And we're trying to figure out if how was his counselor when he was there. Anyways, that's a whole other side story. My daughter Sloan is going to camp on June 6th next Sunday. So I worked at Laity Lodge, and it was a wonderful place. It's where I accepted Christ. And the summer, your last summer that you can go as a camper is your, is your sophomore year, the summer after your sophomore year. So, but then after your junior year of high school, you have the opportunity to go and to be on what they call program or work crew. And, and literally the slogan is all work, no pay. And so you go that summer and you work for half a summer and all you do is work. And you work every day while you're there and there is no pay. You don't get paid. You get paid by having room and board and a meal. And so it is some of the hardest work that I've ever done. But it's, it was one of the really powerful summers in my life to go and to give five weeks of my summer to just labor every day for the sake of others. And so they split up guys and girls. And so the girl's job, the that are on work crew, they go and they serve all the kids. So every meal, they clean every dish, they serve every food. Now they, we have, they have cooks, but they prepare it and they serve and they clean the, the ranch house where, where meal is served and they take out the trash and it is hard work. And those girls are up early every morning getting breakfast ready, serving the kids. And so they serve in that way. And the, the, the boys, the high school boys go out and they serve by doing manual labor. 
They set up for events. And this is in the middle of the summer. They set up for events. They tear things down. We take the trash. Like we, we would pick up trash and take trash. We would unload the truck. The HEB truck would come in once a week with food and we'd unload that truck. And it was hard work. And so, but the, the principle was good. And I learned a lot in my life about to work for the sake of someone else. And that's what Paul's saying here. The rule is, is that those who do not work do not eat. And literally, literally, we lived that out that summer. So we worked hard. We sweat hard for the sake of others and so that we could have a place to sleep and have a place to eat. So every summer, there is a day where we do switch day where the guys, the guys go and do what the girls do and serve in uh, the meals and in the ranch house and then the girls go do the labor for the boys. And so typically... What you do is like you make it really hard for them so that they see how hard you work. And so we did all this difficult stuff. So what we did for the, uh, when the girls were doing the program crew, we got a bag of trash. Like it was from the, the, it was like where they were scraping the plates of food off. Like when the kids are bringing, so it was not trash, like garbage. It was like food. And so we took it and we were taking the, the trailer we set it out beside the trash pit and we put, it, we put it in a trash bin and we covered it where raccoons couldn't get it and we left it out in the summer Texas heat for three days. So then we put it at the bottom of the trailer on the day there and we took a razor blade to the bottom so that when they took the bag and when they went to take the bag out and throw it into the dumpster, the bottom was cut in a which way the way they did it and it's just and just threw it all over the trailer. There were maggots in that thing, and those girls cleaned it for hours. It was awful. So I don't recommend that. But the principle is true, that you don't work, you don't eat. And like I said, this is a spiritual reality and a physical reality. Is it spiritually that we are to feed one another? We are to feed ourselves. And at some point in our lives, we progress through this transition of, 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 of a child as scripture paints the picture, as a baby with a nursing mother. The other day I was downtown Round Rock and a baby had fall, a baby, a baby bird had fallen out of the nest. It was on the ground with its mouth open up, looking up at the nest above it, waiting to be fed and probably not snatched up. And so at some point in our Christian walk, we're all that baby bird that just has a mouth open waiting to be fed. But the question is, when do you start feeding yourself? Some of you are at that place now. Some of you are at that place now where you think, I've been being fed. When do I begin feeding myself? And then the question is, when do you begin to feed others? When, it, when is what you are doing with the kingdom and what the Lord is teaching and showing you, not for you to eat, but for the sake of others, to be able to feed others spiritually? He says that some of you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, but they are busy bodies. Paul tells the same thing to Timothy in his letter, in his letter 1 Timothy chapter 5. He says, besides, they get in the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, people who are idle, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. Again, if you've been in church longer than a minute, you know what this is. It's people busying themselves with the business of, of others. That's what a busybody is. 
And lots of us in this room, I know your story. I know church baggage. You've had people do that in your life. And Paul is warning against that. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says, and make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. Amen. And work with your hands as we told you to do. That's what it means to be busy and not a busy body. To work quietly, to stay at work with your hands for the sake of the kingdom, not to busy yourself with the business of others. He continues in verse 12 and says that we fight starvation with food, which seems like a no-brainer, but we fight starvation with food. He says this, verse 12, such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tired of doing what is good. And this, so this goes with the idea before of idleness leading to starvation and telling them you fight starvation with food. And these are, but these are points and advice that Paul has given them. It's like Shay's grandmother. Not only does she say, hey, don't get tired, but let me give you an, a piece of advice, pull over at a rest stop and take a nap, right? Not only does she warn Shay against driving when she's sleepy, but she gave her something to do um, to combat that, right? Does that make sense? Yes. I don't know if I would stop at a rest stop anymore. That sounds like the start of a horror movie. But anyways, so he gives them these points of advice or wisdom. He First, he says, settle down. He literally says, to settle down means to work in a quiet fashion and to eat their own bread. And I want you to think about who the Lord calls in Scripture to settle down and earn the food they eat. And look at who God calls in Scripture. Look at King David. David was a shepherd tending a flock, someone who was working, not busying himself with the business of other people, but was a worker. Peter and those disciples, they were fishermen, dirty, smelly fishermen. And that's who he called. And once you know, when the Lord looks, he looks for people who are busying themselves, who are busying themselves. Then he says, never tire of doing what is good. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, He says, but well-doing, doing doing what is good, but well-doing consists of taking down the shutters and selling your goods, tucking up your shirt sleeves and doing a good day's work, sweeping the carpets and dusting the chairs if you happen to be a domestic servant. Well-doing is attending to the duties that arise out of our relationships in life, attending carefully to them and seeing that in nothing Attending carefully to them and seeing that in nothing we are eye-servers and men-pleasers, but in everything we are seeking to serve God. So let me tell you, the truth is this, is that if you are doing, what you, if what you are doing every day is not for the kingdom, it's not because you're doing the wrong thing, it's because you're doing it for the wrong reasons. If the life that you live, nine to five, Midnight to midnight, every day, Monday through Saturday. If the work that in the life that you're living is not for the sake of the kingdom, it's not because you're doing the wrong thing. It's it's because you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Is that God looks at us and looks at people that are willing to work, that are willing to live a life for the sake of others and to do a job for the kingdom. And so these are words of wisdom. And then he closes with this. He closes with this word to avoid those who are idle. 
And this is strong language. This is how he closes his letter. In verse 14, it says, take special note of anyone who does not obey our instructions in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. And this is really harsh language. And when he says in this letter, he's not strictly talking about this one section of idleness. He's talking about the letter that he has written to the church in Thessalonica and thinking about all the things that we learn and avoiding those who aren't taking note, who aren't being shaped by his word, to avoid those who are idle. Years ago, I had a, this was years ago, I had a young man that came to me and said, hey, I want you to mentor me. Would you mentor me? I said, I said yeah, I can mentor you. And so that consisted of a season in my life where I pursued this person. This, this person wasn't working. They didn't have a job. So this, this person was without a job. They were looking for a job, so they didn't have a job. So I pursued this person. I scheduled our meetings every week that we met. We got together. I paid for this person's meal every time we met. We talked about this person. I gave them advice. I encouraged them towards something. I encouraged them towards these things. And the end of doing that for six months, I realized this guy doesn't want a change. This guy just wants a free meal. And I bought, he is, that, he is sucker me. I bought him six meals now once a month for the past six months. I'm just buying him lunch. I'm clearing my schedule, trying to schedule him and trying to find time. And I'm just buying him lunch. And, and while this person definitely came out of it and, and, and it was good, I realized in that sense of what that looks like to try to force someone to do something, to try to force something upon someone. And so Paul is warning against that and say, hey, this disruptiveness that's within the church, he's like, avoid this, avoid this, this idleness. But he's not totally talking about that. He says, in this letter, he says, take special note of anyone who does not obey the instruction in this letter. So I want you to think back about what we've learned the past eight, week in these, eight weeks in these two letters. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we talked about, verse 3 says, we remember for our God and Father the work produced by faith, the labor prompted by love, and endurance inspired by hope in Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we talked about a seed that was planted in the soil of opposition and how that can produce significant fruit in our lives and how we've got to fight through persecution fight through difficulty, that we've got to see those as opportunities. The third week in chapter three of 1 Thessalonians says, we learn that faith feeds faith, that your faith that you lead in your relationship with Jesus is supposed to be shared with others as if you're going to a banquet, as if you're going to a vessel picnic next Sunday, be sure to sign up on the sign up Jesus genius to bring a meal and a dish but that faith feeds faith. And we're to walk of faith with Jesus Christ amongst others to share in that. First Thessalonians says we're to walk more and more. We're to control our vessel more and more. We're to love more and more. We're to hope more and more. First Thessalonians 5, Shay taught on how the end will come and it will be a surprise. If you do not know Jesus, it will be like a thief in the night breaking into your home with fear and trembling. And if you know the Lord, it will be like a mother in the beginning of labor pains, the joy and excitement of life that's coming. We began this letter 
by talking about how scripture is not a buffet as we're seeing today to close this letter. This is not, it's not a Bible buffet where we get to pick and choose what we eat as scripture. Where God uses his word to shape us, to encourage us, to correct our lives. Last week, Joe taught on, um, about the end times and the antichrist and how God reveals those things to us, not so that we're in the know, but so that we have less anxiety about what's coming and so that we can love better and follow after Jesus harder. So this idea of idleness to close out and this warning about, as I close this letter, stay away from those who aren't heeding this instruction. I want you to know that that is not us. That is not us. Look around this room. Right now, literally look around this room. This is who the Lord has brought. This is what God has called us to and for with one another. Is that next week, we're going to start this, this summer of love and we are going against the grain. This is the worst plan a church could do. In the summer, church attendance dips. People come, become less engaged. Somehow we have more time in our lives, but we have find less time for the Lord. We busy ourselves with vacation and other things, and church attendance drips and drops and slows off. But what I am asking us to do and what the Lord is calling us to do is to engage, to get involved, to go and serve. So we are, while, while church attendance is typically dropping, we are asking for higher engagement. And we talked this week as Joe and I met, he, Joe and I meet every other Friday as we talked about this is the mark of the vessel and us coming back. Is that we've been gathering on Sunday mornings, we've been in inward relationship with one another through small group and men's groups, and now we're able to get out and serve in the community. There's gonna be opportunities all summer and I'm encouraging you to engage in those. To love, not with words and speech, but with actions and in truth. To not come into this gym and for us to just talk about it and talk about what the Bible says and discuss it over lunch or in small group, but to go out and put that into action. Is that what God has called us to is not idleness, but is to a labor of love for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of the loss. And that's what we're doing this summer. I'm really excited about that. Next week, Karen Green is going to be here. She's one of our ministry partners from Haven of Love. Yes, we can clap for Haven of Love. So I'm excited about that. And if you've never been here, as Karen has taught, um, buckle up because it's amazing. And I'm really excited about her being here next week. So I want you to come. I want you to listen to what she has to say. I want her to share her heart for the prison ministry that she leads and these women that she ministers to. The weekend after that, I'll be back. And the weekend after that, our very own Jessica Wright is going to be teaching on Father's Day. And then we're going to close out with a friend of mine, Evan Black, who's a, who pastors another church here in Round Rock. I'm really excited about what the Lord's doing. And I'm asking you, church, to engage, to not grow idle, to not fall out of ranks, to keep fighting the good fight of faith. Let's stand, and I'm going to pray for us. And thank y'all for being here this morning. Jesus, we love you. God, and I'm grateful that I can read this scripture, uh, and nothing comes to mind in this body. 
is that God, you have called people to work, to labor for the sake of your kingdom, to bear one another's burdens, to live a life that's not about themselves. God, but to live a life for you. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.